As Iyanla Van Zant once said, it's important that we share our experiences with other people. Your story will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. At Project Sleep, we believe that your stories matter, which is why we train people with sleep disorders on how to share their stories through our Rising Voices program. This Rising Voices podcast series features a variety of firsthand stories from people living with sleep disorders around the world. Each person's story offers unique and important insights. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique, which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. Hi, everyone. Welcome. We're really excited to have Anna with us today. Anna Marr is an LA-based actor, writer, and voiceover artist originally from Ohio. When not performing or writing comedy, she enjoys consuming odd ice cream flavors, female-driven TV shows, and theme parks. She is the co-founder of Blue Laces Theater Company, a nonprofit that creates interactive multi-sensory theater for individuals with developmental differences. Anna was diagnosed with narcolepsy as a senior at Northwestern University. As a Rising Voices of Narcolepsy writer, she aims to change how the media represents this chronic neurological condition. She is currently developing a dark comedy series, folks, you don't want to miss this, called Walking Through Peanut Butter, based on her experiences navigating New York's comedy scene with narcolepsy. And we will ask Anna to tell us a little bit about more about that um, after she reads her essay. So stay tuned for hearing more about that as well. Uh, and you can also learn more about Anna at AnnaMar.com. Go ahead and take it away, Anna. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, as Julie said, this is the essay that I published from my Rising Voices program. And I posted it on Medium in This Is From 2018. And the title is Laugh At Me, Not My Narcolepsy. Why I Take Sleep More Seriously Than I Take Myself. If you pop a home video in my dad's dusty VCR, you'll probably see my sisters and me circa 2001 improvising news shows or performing trampoline parody concerts in our backyard. That's all I did as a kid in small town Ohio, live off of making them laugh. I've always been a performer, but in school, I was a quiet, obedient student. My senior year, we had to read 1,400 pages of Atlas Shrugged over winter break. Whatever. I devoted every day to reading, and every day, tiny anvils attached to my eyelids and slowly dragged them shut. I tried to fight, but I was helpless against my new foe, sudden, debilitating sleepiness. The next year, as a college theater major, I needed pre-rehearsal naps. I'd lie in my twin XL bed, set an alarm for 20 minutes, and sleep, until my roommate would start pounding on the door. 
She'd talk to me, but I couldn't roll over, yell, or even open my eyes like I was bound by an invisible straitjacket. However, she was never there when I woke up, so I figured these were merely annoying dreams. Because I refused to let my sleepiness affect my studies and theater activities, my drained energy diminished my social life. I felt like a loser for never staying up late, not going to parties. By sophomore year, I wound up bobbing my head up and down while fighting to keep my eyes open in almost every class. I'd lose track of lectures and abandoned scrupulous note-taking for scribbling illegible nonsense about SpongeBob. I wrote plays with my eyes closed. I consulted the Learning Disability Center. By senior year, I was scheduling solely non-reading classes. In high school, I had started telling every doctor that I was really tired, like more tired than other people. They'd ask about my schedule and say, you're too stressed, quit an activity. I wouldn't listen to them because A, they were wrong, and B, extracurriculars lead to Oscar's common knowledge. It took four and a half years for a doctor to humor me enough to refer me to a sleep doctor who humored me enough to order a sleep test. Winter break of my senior year, four years after Atlas shrugged my eyelids, my doctor called. I wasn't surprised with my diagnosis. I am the one person for whom WebMD worked. But I told you so currency doesn't go far. I knew as much about actually living with narcolepsy as I know about people who still wear Jinko jeans, in that I'm sure there is a small group of people somewhere who do that, but I have no idea what their deal is. It's been five years since then, so I'll explain. Narcolepsy is a chronic neurological disorder that hinders the brain's ability to regulate the sleep-wake cycle. It affects 1 in 2,000 people, 200,000 Americans, 3 million worldwide. Symptoms include excessive daytime sleepiness, hypnagogic hallucinations and sleep paralysis, aka my confusing roommate dreams, and disrupted restless nighttime sleep. It's not falling asleep while crossing the street, or whatever else you've seen in Rat Race, Modern Family, a Honda ad, or even that viral YouTube poodle. Thanks to Facebook groups and many sleep doctors, I'm more aware of what I need. I take a daily medication that reduces excessive daytime sleepiness so I can be more alert and productive. Without it, I feel like I'm walking through peanut butter. Meds are nothing, though, without a regulated sleep schedule, the same sleep and wake time every day. Plus, doctors' orders to treat daily 20-minute naps like medicine. As an actor, this is hard. When I'm performing comedy, it's either early in the mornings for kids or at night with my improv team. I have to say no to most of these gigs in order to keep my sleep routine and already sparse nap schedule. There's a big learning curve. Last year, near the end of a long day of filming a comedy pilot, my knees kept buckling. I'd reach for the floor whenever my scene partners made me laugh. Turns out I have another narcolepsy symptom, cataplexy. It's a sudden episode of muscle weakness triggered by strong emotions, fear, joy, etc., that varies from jaw slackening to falling down and lasts a few seconds to several minutes, all while conscious. I'd experienced it after a tiring day at Disney World, sure, but I couldn't believe it was happening while I was acting. My trigger, by the way? Laughter. Today's double jeopardy, 
gratuitous examples of irony. What is a comedic performer whose cataplexy is only triggered by laughter? Nothing will change my goal of being a successful actor and writer. I still work multiple day jobs, audition, perform, take classes, and am a law-abiding citizen with a family, boyfriend, and friends. Yet this takes way more effort than you think. It's easy to minimize narcolepsy when you can't see its effects. Like others with this invisible illness, I feel the need to constantly explain myself, scientifically defending my behavior because I don't look sick. So sorry, but I'm more tired than you. Hashtag humble brag. Living with narcolepsy is akin to feeling like you haven't slept in 48 to 72 hours. You know how you feel when you wake up around 4.30 a.m. for an 8 a.m. flight, not having slept because you were worried about waking up at 4.30 a.m.? That's me every day. I wake up feeling like I've run a marathon. Hashtag marathon brag. I'm afraid that if I speak up about my narcolepsy, people will think I'm too tired or weak to have an acting career. Au contraire, I am capable, talented, and relentless AF, and I guarantee I will show up prepared and ready to work. I am phenomenal at faking being well. I believe that's what you call a classically trained actor, but it costs me a lot. Behind the scenes, there's extreme fatigue, brain fog, memory loss, and a pile of medical bills. When I tell folks I have narcolepsy, most laugh, amused or bemused. Or it's shock and fear, like I've told them I never wear shoes on airplanes. If I were to bottle proper response number five, its prominent note would be calm curiosity without judgment, pity, or indulgent surprise. Proper response number five by Jimmy Kimmel, comedian with narcolepsy for whose permission I did not ask, available wherever beds are sold. Living with narcolepsy teaches me that if I don't test, learn, and respect my limits, I'll live by rules not made for me. Knowing when and how to self-advocate is a daily test, from prioritizing naps over networking to deciding when to tell teachers and directors about it. A nagging little voice asks, am I being lazy? Or am I making an informed choice for my well-being? Much like the WWE, I don't expect it to go away and can only aim to quiet it down. One upside? Narcolepsy offers me unique, oftentimes hilarious news stories to tell. Being able to laugh at some of its oxymorons and unbelievable situations is more than a coping mechanism. Humor helps break down stigmas attached to sleep disorders, especially those exaggerated in on-screen portrayals of narcolepsy. Also, it invites people in to better understand our lives. My hope is that when we talk about narcolepsy or any invisible illness, we don't shy away or put up walls, but instead encourage curious conversation. I'll always love performing, writing, and watching comedy, even if sometimes Laughter literally brings me to my knees. Diana, thank you so much for sharing your essay with us today. I love this essay. I know thank I'm not you. the only one. There's so much in there. Like it's so packed <laughs> um, with so many great analogies and so many important points. It's kind of a masterpiece of all those different things, really. My first question for Anna is, what was the experience like as a writer in the program, Rising Voices, and 
what was it like to get this published? I really enjoyed the experience because I had never written about my experiences with narcolepsy at all. So for me, it was sort of just word vomiting, like, oh my God, let me think of every single thing in my journey possible, which I know uh, when I sent them to Julie and Rebecca, they were probably like, ah, what have we signed up for here? Because I certainly overwrote, but I think it was super important for me to, to do so and reflect upon those things. So it was helpful just to process some stuff. But then I also really appreciated the outline that Julie had set up where you know, you start off with getting the audience to know you and you start off at yourself and who you are personally, what your interests are, where you're from, anything about you to, to welcome the audience in so that they get to know you and the context of how these symptoms of narcolepsy began to show up in your life before you even mentioned the word narcolepsy. I just thought that that was you know, such a brilliant way to, to get people on your side and you know, invoke understanding and empathy. And it's just, I, I, I love the structure. And I finished the program and then I, I sent a, a draft, my final draft to a friend just because I really trusted their opinion on writing and comedy. And, and their response was like, this is great. I think it's well, very well written. It's funny. And I just, you know, as a friend and also reading this essay, I'm just not quite sure how narcolepsy impacts your life. It seems like everything's fine. And I was like, oh no, that's not what I want to convey at all. I had too much of a silver lining, I guess, at the end of it. And it took me like six months, if not longer, to figure out what I wanted to say to make sure that very special, important part that like, like, yeah, again, like narcolepsy is invisible. And a lot of us really rally (laughs) to not have anybody ever know. And that doesn't mean it's nothing. It means there's so much going on underneath all the time and that other people don't see. So I added in, I think like now I realize it's like two paragraphs that I think I added in it. it, And it one day just, I was just like, Oh, I get it. Like, I know what I need to write. And, and then I was just so eager to publish it. I published it on Medium and yeah, that was the process. And do you remember which paragraphs? I, I'm thinking it's the ones where you kind of talk a little bit more about some of the sacrifices. Yeah, or... I think it was like, I think it was probably the like, it's easy to minimize narcolepsy when you can't see its effects, um, that one, and probably the next paragraph as well behind the scenes, it costs me a lot, things like that. I have to imagine that those were not in there (laughs) before. And then how was it once you published? Did you get um, some good feedback? Well, um, as I've mentioned to you before, I had no idea that I'd gotten any feedback from it because when I posted it within my own, you know, on my Instagram and Facebook, you know, algorithms be algorithms or who knows why I didn't really get much of a response. I got one friend that I hadn't spoken to for years from college who, um, you know, was so appreciative and it was a really nice message to receive. And then once I found, it was like a month before I found like the posts that you and Project Sleep had done um, and that there were comments on the Medium essay itself. I just, for whatever reason, (laughs) didn't realize that like I didn't have my notification set up or something. But to see all of that, like within probably like the same day was like 
extremely powerful um, because I'd never spoken out about my narcolepsy in any meaningful way up until that point. And it was so affirming and validating and like to see how many people it resonated with was like, because, you know, when, whenever you put anything out there, you know, especially for me related to narcolepsy, I, I just want to make sure that nobody feels like unrepresented, you know, or somebody feels like this isn't correct at all. You know, I wanted, which of course you can't represent everybody's experience in your own story, but I was so happy to see that um, it was thing. It was something that a lot of people were able to find something in there that they're related to. Today, would you leave it the same or would you make changes to it? So, yeah, I think that I really like the essay as it is because it is somewhat innocent and it's in my journey, uh, narcolepsy. It's, you know, at a point where I would figured a bunch of stuff out about how to live with, like, you know, begin to make some choices about how I saw it living, uh, existing in my life. But I, more of the like nuanced, advanced um, living with narcolepsy issues, at least in my book, um, of like um, relationships and friendships and, uh, you know, the, my journey with acceptance or grief, you know, things like that. I hadn't gotten there yet. And so um, this is sort of to me, like, if I were to want somebody to read about narcolepsy in my life, this is like a great starting point. Um, to me, this is like really encapsulates a lot of it and from a basic level um, that I still agree with all of it. And so that makes me feel, you know, like I, there's nothing I disagree with here. Um, I no longer uh, live in New York um, and I live now in LA. And I, even before I moved, I, I have been able to make some changes in my life to try to pare down all of the stuff I was doing. So I'm no longer like taking a million classes while also doing comedy at night. And also um, I'm not working multiple day jobs and things like that. I've, I've really worked to try to um, simplify my life as best as possible and focus. Um, so that's a little bit easier um, to do. And I think that the voice that I said was like the WWE where it's there and you just have to quiet it down. It's never going away. I think that that has gotten quieter the more that I've gone on my journey to acceptance and setting boundaries and things like that. It's still there, but you know, now I, I have a better, even more so than when I was here, I have a much better idea of what I need and what it takes to, to get it. That's just such a like important point. So maybe what I'm hearing from you is that you might have more essays up your sleeve someday. I do. <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah. And other ways, of course, that you can share, because um, you're a very creative person in more ways. Not only are you a phenomenal um, essay writer, but you're, we're going to get to some of um, your other writing that you've been doing and, and projects. So walking through peanut butter. And so tell us a little bit about this project, Anna. Yes, so this is something that I've been working on for a while now, maybe a year and a half. And it is a dark comedy series um, that is based on my experiences navigating the New York City comedy scene while living with narcolepsy. So it follows Jesse, who is a stubborn, overachieving new college grad 
who is diving headfirst into the comedy world of the city that never sleeps, aka the perfect place to adapt to her newly diagnosed narcolepsy. And it's obviously quite loosely based on my life, but it, it is fiction and it follows a different character. We find out in the pilot episode that she, we, we know that she has nat narcolepsy. She's sort of in the same place. It was born from the same place that I was in when I moved to New York City, which is I got my diagnosis right before I graduated, about halfway through my senior year of college. And I was basically given a pamphlet and a prescription and sent out the door. And so I thought, okay, I have a diagnosis and I have a prescription. I'm good. And, you know, no 22 year old is usually right about anything um, that they think so strongly uh, is going to be the same their whole lives, you know. And so I moved to New York and certainly was very naive about that. And I didn't realize I was carrying along, you know, a invisible baggage of an extra suitcase that was living with a chronic illness, specifically narcolepsy. And so the, the season is, uh, the series is sort of what it's like to unpack that invisible baggage suitcase. Um, and part of that for me and part of that for the character of Jessie will be discovering that she has cataplexy and her trigger is laughter, which is particularly difficult as a stand-up comedian when your trigger is you saying the punchline of a joke. And so that's what we'll follow along the series seeing. And we filmed, my team and I filmed a nine minute proof of concept, which is essentially like a short pilot episode, first episode. And we filmed that in New York right before I left and we're almost finished editing it. This is really exciting. I, I just am so proud of you. I think this project is so fantastic. I just think it's so cool that this is a representation of narcolepsy. If they're interested in learning more about the series, they can go to our Instagram, which is peanut butter series. That's our handle on Instagram. Uh, otherwise, you can find me as myself on Facebook um, and also on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Marzipana. So thanks again, Anna. Thanks Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye for now. The Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.